Welcome to the Storyfield. This is Josh Allen, and I'm joined by Micah Petrie. This is a podcast created and sponsored by The Allen Firm. At The Allen Firm, we think there are too many unknowns in life's legal situations. The Allen Firm provides legal guidance so you can make a great decision, come to a resolution, and be at peace. For more information about The Allen Firm, visit allenlawfirm.com. Well, we think you will agree that life is complex, business is hard, and living a life of faith can feel complicated. You're in the right place today to hear some great stories of normal people, just like us, who will inspire you to move forward in life. Thank you for joining us today. We know you're going to be encouraged. Well, Storyfield, um, say hello to John Strapazon. Strap, as the world knows him. And, and And I want any current or future college ministers to lean in today. Um, so Strap, how long have you been in ministry? Oh man, that's over 40 years. Uh, I don't know how I got this old. <laughs> it happens. It just happens fast. You uh, get old or you get dead. <laughs> yeah. So 40 plus years in ministry and a big and primary focus, I think a lot has been on college, college yeah, age the, people. The vast majority of that has been on college. Okay. The vast majority, but. Okay. Well, but but I want everybody else to listen in today too, because I really do believe this. That strap, you may be one of the, and I think it's a really a spiritual gift here, but you may be one of the most wise people I know. And just we're going to get into to some of that. So you're the author of two books. Tell us about those books, real quick, strap, and where people can find them. Well, the the genesis of the books. Let me give you that real quick. Oh, and, and first, I'm really. I, you asked in your questionnaire some things that you're most. Uh, what was the word you mm-hmm. used? Proud of accomplishing. Yeah, and. Um, you know, I flunked second grade. Uh, school was never an important thing to me until um, s- a significant thing happened in my life with a teacher. And so I'm really proud of that in the right sort of way because um, I'm an unlikely person to be a writer. Uh, just um, in college, I, did, I we had to have a minor. And I have, yeah, if you're in the uh, BA department, you have a lot of arts uh, stuff you have to take, and English is one of those. And um, I just needed two more courses to get my uh, minor. Those two courses were very different than the other ones. They were very, uh, they were for professional writers. Oh, he knew. Lord already knew. I didn't. You I, were going to write a book. Oh my gosh! But um, in the last one of those, we had to uh, get published, which never happened for me. And um, I had to rewrite every paper over and over. And at the end, the teacher gave me, she knew I needed a pass to graduate. So, and she knew that the computer did not read the pluses and minuses. But on my final portfolio, she wrote C minus, minus, minus. You still do not know how to write a paper. <laughs> she actually wrote that on the paper. Strap. Yeah, she wrote that on the portfolio. Oh, that was heartless. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'd met with her just constantly. And one of the keys to passing in college is to, uh, getting to know your professors, because if you do, they'll help you. They'll help yeah. you be great too. Cause they, but um, C minus, 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 you don't, you still don't know how to write a paper. So uh, I'm really excited because it's something God did and God motivated me to do that. I had been uh, the chaplain for the Texas tech red Raider football team for several years. And I was discipling some of the coaches meeting with them once a week on Thursday mornings. And when I left to go to work in Oklahoma as the director of collegiate ministry for Oklahoma, I left these guys and the Lord mm. basically said, now you need to write something to them every week. 
And I thought, God, have you read anything I've written? (laughs) And so I began to just sort of hack something out that I would send to them every week. And through that, I began to write what I called Life's Equipment Bag and um, to send it to them every week. And it was from those. Somebody said one time, why don't you put these in a book? And I'm thinking, really? Have you read my stuff? Are you kidding me? I'm a C minus, minus, minus guy. I don't know how to write. And by the way, I flunked second grade. Yeah, you know. So there was just, but anyway, finally, after years of people saying that, I did. Oh, my goodness. I've been writing them for 15 years, and I picked out some I thought were the best. And I have two books. One's called Life's Equipment Bag, The Game of Your Life. They're available on Amazon, or they're available for me. Okay, and we'll we'll link them up to Strap on this podcast, too, so people can get them fun. And the second one is um, uh, Gear for the Game. And the idea there is that this is the the spiritual gear that you need for the game of life. Hmm. And really your heart too, and especially working as a chaplain for the football team and your love of sports. And a lot of these are wired to, to really identify with um, athletes, any athletes as well, right? Yeah. People who uh, it's, it's, they're, they're wired for professional athletes all the way down to the guy that, you know, I have a friend who played basketball for a major college and he'll tell people, you know, I'm a has been. And my next phrase is, well, I'm a never was. Yeah. So uh, just for the, just for the guys who love sports and the girl, women, you'd be surprised. The women who love sports, but maybe or maybe didn't play in whatever level. So it's, it's sports metaphors. It's, it's real life situations with sports metaphors. It's so good. Like, and I've, I and I have a copy. I have a copy of life. I have a copy of both of them and, and have scanned through both of them too. And it's, it is relatable and it's good. And it gives you those principles. Um, that'll move you forward. That's good. Well, you're not a C minus 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 writer anymore. So we, we can take that off the table. <laughs> well, where, you know, it's, hard, you... it's hard to dump things like that. Oh, they I get, know. They get sort of into your soul. Yeah. My, my son's at UTSA and we're always asking about his grades and stuff. And so he goes, yeah, I got a C. That means congratulations. You went to class. <laughs> and then anytime. Oh, I love a- that. And then anytime he makes a D, he's like, yeah, that's called diploma, dad. <laughs> you don't want him to work too hard. Yeah. I'm like, oh. that's not how this works, son. You need to, but you know, <laughs> that uh, he's, he's good. Diploma. I had to go to a technical school in Florida called Full Sail, which is like a big entertainment school in order for me to feel like I fit in and be really, really comfortable. And I, I passed that like, like nobody's business, but like real school for me was like rough. Yeah, mm. that's right. Well, that's right. Yeah. So I have two Illinois guys on the on the show with me today. So Strap, you grew up in Illinois, right? You and bet. I know Micah did too. So where where'd you grow Micah up? From? I am from a little bitty farm town called Iuka, which is in southern Illinois, which is right outside Salem, which is just north of Centralia. Oh, I know where Centralia is. There you go. And my dad is actually a prof- was a professor at the University of Illinois in Champaign. Wow, that's big deal. That's big. That's big stuff there. Yeah. Well, de- yeah. Don't say that because he'll probably listen to this, and then his head will get real big, and then I'll <laughs> okay, have to well, calm him down. Well, <laughs> I'll take um, that back. <laughs> I could just, you know, I could just interject a couple things here. One is the goal of my life. Part of a goal of my life was to go to the University of Illinois hmm. and to play basketball at Assembly Hall. It's a whole ah. story. 
I'm going to write about that someday about what the goal of my life was. But, um, and uh, as you know, Illinois is really kind of two states. Yes. Big time. Yeah. Uh, my stepmom is from Waukegan. Oh, which is, oh. Up, which is up by, uh, um, yeah, north of Chicago. And, uh, so yeah, that's the one state. And then yeah. you got everybody South. <laughs> yeah. Chicago, the Chicagoland area is one state. Hmm. So is and, that where you grew up strap though? I mean, yes, I grew up in Joliet. You know where that is? Mm, tell us. Yeah, the Joliet's Blues kind of Brothers. The, yes, the Blues Brothers. And you know what I found out about in Rudy? Rudy? Don't forget Rudy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, let's see. And if you, you're old enough, you can remember a great movie from the 70s called The Sting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that whole first part is set in Joliet, even has it on the screen. My mother says she remembers that part where uh, some the bad stuff kind of went down. But um, and then I found out something very interesting the other day. Dairy Queen started in Joliet. Oh my no goodness! Way. We've been well, calling was, that this Texas stop sign for too long. Then I, uh, <laughs> first stop Dairy sign. Queen. You can look it up on Wikipedia, which we all know is exactly all the right stuff. <laughs> yeah. but, correct. Um, and Wikipedia. I mean, I was watching. Have you ever, have you ever watched the show The Food That Built America? Mm-mm. Well, in there they talk about ice cream, soft serve. And talks about the first Dairy Queen was in Joliet, Illinois. So Joliet is my hometown. I love Joliet. I went to Joliet Central High School, um, played basketball and baseball, and all kind of, did all kinds of other things there. Was born in Joliet and raised there until I went to college. How about brothers, sisters, and I have a sister family? named was... Kim. Okay, and uh, Kim Bisky is her name. Okay, she lives in Southern California. What was it like? Was I mean, it was a large town back then? Were you big high school? Yes, yes, Joliet is, is um, you know, a lot of the suburbs are relatively new. To sh- you know, the suburb- suburban area of Chicago is called Chicagoland. It's not the Metroplex or something like that. It's the Chicagoland. And Joliet's in Chicagoland. But Joliet's been a major city for a long, long time. A lot of, oh, the, okay. suburban, a lot of the suburban areas are just bedroom communities. Joliet isn't. Aurora isn't. Elgin isn't. Waukegan isn't. Those are cities that were there before that have kind of grown toward Chicago, and Chicago's grown toward them. And, so what was childhood like then? If you had to just kind of few paragraph it, how would you describe it for you? Hmm. Hmm. Well, I have no desire to uh, hurt my parents. Yeah. <laughs> but um, let me see where I start here. It was really, really rough. Mm. Uh, Joliet is a very, um, it's a blue collar town. Uh, which isn't either good or bad. It's just kind of what it is. Dad worked in a factory. Mom was a secretary. She worked full time when other mothers didn't work. That's a normal thing now. It's abnormal for the mom not to work. Back then it was abnormal for the mother to work. Only kid I knew whose mother worked. (coughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Grew up on the wrong side of town, literally. My hometown is divided by a river. (coughs) You know who the haves are and who the haves nots are by the the distinction of where the river is. Mm. And um, so it was rough. Um, I grew up with a crowd of people who believed that if you didn't try, you couldn't fail. And so we didn't try. And if you did try and you failed, you were just brutally made fun of. Oh, wow. So uh, five of the guys in my neighborhood flunked second grade together, five of us. Mm. And so we made fun of people who made good grades. Uh, yeah, my life was about four things growing up. 
uh, rock and roll, uh, girls, cars, particularly drag racing and sports. Yeah. That was what my life was about. Those were the goals of my life were all in those four areas. Uh, went to dances every weekend night trolling. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's just what I grew up with, you know, and uh, rough. Uh, mom and dad didn't like each other. Uh, kind of hated each other, really. Yeah. First memory I have as a little boy is uh, my mother telling me a couple things. One is I don't love your dad. And uh, the only reason I'm staying with him is because of you. And when I leave, when you leave, I'm going to leave. Mm. And uh, to her credit, she did stay with him the whole time, but she also kept her promise that when I went to college, she divorced him. Yeah. And then uh, she also told me in the same sentence, she, the same paragraph, she said, uh, I'm really sorry you're not going to be successful in life because you got the wrong dad. You're from the wrong part of town and you're from the wrong town. And I knew all those to be true. Uh, I grew up, uh, my dad's an Italian, which I, I love the fact that I'm Italian, but um, when you think of Italians, what do you think of? An Italian from Chicago, what do you guys think of? Mobster. Yep. Anything else? Pizza. There you yeah. go. You get the two Food things and pizza that every and... crowd answers. Yeah. Nobody ever talks as astronauts or doctors or lawyers. Yeah, it's like um, pizza stereo- and stereotype. Yeah, and so um, that's kind of what you do. And my hometown was, like I said, split by the river. I knew that. And Joliet is not the uh, place to live if you want to be up and coming in the Chicagoland area. That's on the north side and the west side. It's not on the south side. Joliet's a south suburb. And I knew that. And so um, that really set me on a path that was it's really like, hard to like shake. it's kind of hopeless. Yeah. Yes, it was really hard to shake. And then I grew up around people who felt the same way. My mother resented my dad because we lived on the east side. She grew up on the near west side, which means she wasn't really affluent, but she knew she wasn't an east sider. Yeah. Just people a lot of, la- lot of labels, huh? Oh, my gosh, yes. People still do that. We're trying to break that, but people still know who, where people are from and what the deal is. So anyway, my background was that. I knew my parents loved me. They didn't love each other. It was terrible when they were together. So uh, that's Thanks a little of my sh- background. Thanks for sharing that, Trap, and that sets the stage. So how did you, where'd you go to college? Was that still in Illinois also? No, I, uh, I had a teacher friend in high school. I got, I, I got in this class and I thought, you know, in, in high school, I don't know about your high school, but you couldn't drop a class when you got into high school. I mean, when they give you your schedule, that was set in stone. That was like the Ten Commandments. They weren't changing. And I got in this class with this um, young teacher guy who we got in there. I thought it was the pretty much one of the big disasters of my life because he said, I'm going to teach this class. Like it's a college class. I'm expect you to do the work. And I thought, Oh no, I've never done any homework. I never did any homework. Never read a book. I was the C guy. What'd your son say? C was for C was for congratulations. Like yeah. <laughs> you actually went to class. That's it. I figured if you went to class, I'd got, I had figured this out that if you showed up for class, you could pick up enough to get a C. And so uh, anyway, uh, this teacher did check our homework, which was a disaster. But at the end of the first term, he called us all up to his desk individually to show us our grades. And I thought, oh, this is awful. Just uh, just send the grade home. I'll figure it out with the parents. They don't care. It doesn't seem like they care that much anyway. They're not expecting much from me. The only thing my mother ever said to me was, you better watch your grades or you won't be able to play basketball. And that was the key. That was my goal was to play 
My goal, check this out. Mm -hmm. My big goal was to play in the state finals at Assembly Hall, University of Illinois. Mm. The Illinois version of Hoosiers? Yes, yes. Everybody talks about Hoosiers, but Illinois is as big a basketball place as they are. Yes, it is. And um, and football wasn't king. Basketball was. Football is too cold. Catching a football on a Friday night is like catching a brick. (laughs) And besides, you got a helmet on. Nobody sees you. Remember my goal was girls, too. Remember that one? Yeah. So I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be somebody. The way you were somebody is if you were seen. And so uh, anyway, I get this class. Teacher calls me up to my dog. Teacher calls me up to uh, his desk and he tells me, he says, John, I gave you a C. And I thought, all right. I don't know how that happened, but I'm good with that. And then in the same breath, he basically says, he said, uh, you earned a D. And he said, if you get a D next time, I'll give you a D. But John, you can do B work. And guys, in that moment, something fell into place for me. To my knowledge, no one ever believed in me before. Oh, man, yeah. And I began to try. And my grades got better. And everything started getting better. Now, it did create a problem for me with the people, the kids I grew up with. Because now began, you were one to do better and not, yeah. And I began to sort of hang around with some kids who really were going for it, weren't just making fun of people who were going for it, weren't just sort of marking time so they got out of high school, but people who actually saw high school as a building block for going somewhere else. I began to hang out with some of those people. They began to reach out to me. Some things happened, and my life began to change mm. in that moment. And you can make a difference. Yeah, speak to somebody. I was going to ask you to do that. Speak to somebody who has young people around him or just people around him. That was one statement he made. Yeah, yeah. And it's a major reason why I'm sitting here talking to you today, because he did that. And I did earn the B next time because I tried. And before, I, you know, failing was just too costly. And I think many, many, many people in our society, failing is so costly that they don't try. And when they do try, there are other people who aren't trying who are holding on to them, who are pulling them back. In fact, I think this is what happens to people uh, a lot of people, when they become a Christian, other people get threatened by it, who are their friends, and they pull them back. Or they threaten them. You know, you're not going to be our friend anymore. Uh, if, it's, if it's a parental situation, we'll cut your money off. Um, but there's all kinds of things that happen when you try to move out of things. Yeah. Because you threaten people. And so my buddies laid it on me pretty hard. And they changed toward me. And, you know, I tried to bring them with me, but they would have no part of that. And so uh, by the grace of God, this happened to me. Hmm. I didn't deserve it. And what happened through this was I, the teacher took an interest in me. I became the, the next year, I became the sports editor for the high school newspaper, which is another joke in itself. Uh, and um, I had a little... Uh, uh, um, article, you know, my personal opinion on something was called John's View. They thought it'd be cute to have an outhouse. <laughs> oh, name under it, John's View. You, so. you were getting trained in writing the whole time. Yeah, little. Did I guess you know. I was. 
Well, and, and um, so what happened was um, we would put together the news. This guy was a single guy and he always, wa- he, he always wanted to live in Chicago. So he um, actually, he grew up in Lubbock, Texas and wanted to live in Chicago. And so he moved to Chicago to do a teaching job. And um, we'd put the newspaper together at his apartment um, once a week. And all of us would gather over there. We'd have Cokes and popcorn and different things and have fun. And I got to know him. And one of his buddies from college, he went to Texas Tech. And one of his buddies from college uh, came up one day. And I, we got to talking. And I just thought, it'd be cool to go away to school. Oh, wow. And um, I began talking to this teacher friend about it. And he said, hey, I'm going to go home for a couple of weeks this summer and want to go and see the place. And so I went with him and me and another guy and him went and we saw tech. And while I was there, his parents asked, if, asked me if, if I wanted to go to tech, if I wanted to live with them. They let me live with them. You know, my parents, they loved me, but uh, making money was not a thing for my dad. Uh, my dad was a tank driver in World War II. He spent two and a half years of his life in Okinawa and Saipan. And um, they never talk about, talked about PTSD back then, but I think my dad had that because my dad was a wonderful guy. He loved me and took care of me, but he didn't have much ambition. Yeah. And uh, this may sound kind of crazy because everybody would say this, but my dad really could have possibly been a professional baseball player. He pitched against a lot of the pro guys in the army and he was better. He was as good as them or better. Mm. But when he got back, he's too old. Yeah. And they wouldn't, you know, they're looking for 18 year olds. My dad's 24 when he gets back. And um, I think it really, uh, and he'd play baseball everywhere he could. Um, and um, I think his life was about that. And, he just never cared about making money. So my mother had to work, which she resented. Yeah. And which created a bad situation. Anyway, they, they, wouldn't, they didn't, no one in my family had ever gone to college. And so nobody knew what it would take uh, academically, um, financially, any of that stuff. And um, so there wasn't any money to go to college. I mean, dad worked in a factory. Mom was a secretary. And, uh, you know, I, I never wanted, I always had what I wanted. Uh, but, um, there was no money for that. And these people knew that. And so out of the kindness of their hearts, they took me in just because their son knew me as a high school student. And, um, and they said, just live with us and come down here. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't charge my family anything. They gave me a car to drive. They gave me a room to live in. They had an extra car. They let me drive it. It's really unbelievable. And, um, I, uh, the problem was uh, they were church going Christians. Oh my gosh. I've been to church and man, I don't want to part of that deal. <laughs> yeah, That's going to mess up your big four pillars that you were. Yeah, well, yeah, well for sure. Plus it was boring out of your mind and what a waste of time. You got to get dressed up and go sit there. Worship service lasted about a week. And, and it seems like even the, like the Northern churches are a little different than even down here. Oh, yes. Like they were more, I don't know, somber and yes, super, like super, super light. Yeah. I mean, the few times I had small, yeah. Everybody knew about everybody's stuff. Uh, You know, I I only thought there were two flavors, Catholics and Protestants. I didn't know there were other flavors. Yeah, there's multiple flavors of Protestants. Oh, I didn't know it. (laughs) And, uh, and, and, that plays into what happened, uh, you know, where I grew up, 
Catholic churches are huge and Protestant churches are little. And um seemed like they had kind of a little man syndrome too, if you can say that anymore. I'm not, not sure. Uh but just a low a low esteem, maybe a little bit. And I've been to Catholic churches. I half my relatives are Catholic. And um so uh so anyway, I I'm living with these people for several months and um They've been really nice to me. And I thought, what can I do to be nice to them? And I thought, you know, they like to go into church. I guess I'll go to church with them. And I, I found some words coming out of my mouth on a Saturday night that I thought would never come out of my mouth. I'd like to go to church with you tomorrow. And I was oh, like, oh, good. no, what have I done? And so I quickly amended it to Sunday school. Because in Sunday school, you know, you're pretty free. You fool around. You get a, Maybe you get a glass of juice, a donut. You know, it's, it's okay. So they didn't care because they didn't invite me to go anyway. So uh, I went to church that day on my own. I found where their church was and I went, went to Sunday school and everybody was nice. It was fine. But you know, I'm dead in a doornail. I wouldn't have known God if he'd run over me with a truck. So spiritual stuff didn't mean anything to me. And so I'm heading out of the church and uh, I noticed this big auditorium. First Baptist Lubbock is a giant church building. And I'd never seen a Protestant church that big. And so I thought, I need to see what that looks like. Now, thinking back on that, I'm like, what? Uh, God was very active, I think, in my life at this point. And, and uh, by the way, I think he's calling everybody, so don't get me wrong. But this was my time. And um, so I stuck my head in to see what it looked like. And when I did, they closed the doors and started the service. Oh, my you goodness, know. John. I mean, and this was at FBC Love It. Uh -huh. And, and okay. you know, you can leave, but it's a little, you know, it's a little weird to leave. But I didn't. I sat down and some things happened that day that changed my life forever. And the first one was I realized Jesus was a real person. And I never thought about that. That had never crossed my mind. I wasn't anti-Jesus. I wasn't mad at him. Uh, I wasn't against him. I just never thought about it. And I thought he was a good guy, but I never thought about him being a real guy like me. And then another thing, then something else happened. And Jesus spoke to me. And he said to me, and, and, and when Jesus speaks to you, you know who it is. I knew that was not me. It was not something in my mind. I wasn't looking for something to happen. Uh, I wasn't on the look for something different for my life. I was just a regular guy sitting there. And I knew it wasn't me talking to me. And I know my voice. I know my inner voice. And Jesus said this to me, he said, John, if you'll give your life to me, you'll find what you're looking for. And, you know, at that time, I was 1,200 miles away from home. Uh, my home was not good, but it was what I knew. I was kind of lonely. I was trying to figure things out. I talked funny compared to the rest of the people in town. Uh, I was different, my background, everything. And um, of course, if you, if you give your life to me, you'll find what you're looking for. So uh, I struggled with that. Because a person behind me later told me you were kind of grabbing that pew pretty hard, buddy. You know, they were saying that to be kind of cute. And, you know, they were trying to identify with me. I get that. But when the guy at the end of the service said, if anybody would like to give their life to Jesus, just come down front. I did. I just, in simple faith, I didn't know anything. I'd never read the Bible. I'd never seen what they call a track, you know, presentation of the gospel. No one had ever talked to me about their faith. No one had ever told me anything about knowing Jesus. 
I don't that was your very anything. first yes. visit to a, a service at all. No, not my first visit to okay. a service because I'd sweated my way through some services. Okay. Every now and then my parents would get a wild hair and we'd have to go to church. Okay, I got you. And um, I went a few times with friends and things like that. Um, I played basketball for a church. So I had to be there once a Sunday to go. I sit in the back, fool around and leave. That meant nothing to me meant nothing to me and it was like rain off of a metal roof it just nothing but on this day not knowing anything i went down front and the guy said what do you want to do and i said that's i remember i said i don't know except i need to give my life to jesus and i did and it took and i prayed and received christ and my life has been different ever since oh my now, goodness there were a lot of things that had to change. Okay. I mean, I was, I was different and I knew it. There was this sense of self-worth that hit me. I know the God in the universe. And up to that point, I hated everything about me, hated my name, hated my looks, hated my personnel. I mean, I just had, I was a, I was a, uh, I just hated everything about who I was. I was a loser with a capital L. And all of a sudden I knew the God in the universe and I was a different person. Now, like I said, a lot of things about how I live life had to change. And a lot of things that I think about God has brought changes with. And I've messed up a lot. And by the way, continue to. Hopefully, I've made some progress. But And I believe I have made progress. Progress is the goals, guys, not perfection. It's progress. You make progress. Yeah, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I mean, that's it's not perfection. It's progress. We'll be perfect one time, day when we see Jesus. Right now, it's about making progress. And a lot of times, that's two steps forward and one step back. And, um, and one of the things I'd like to say here is that, you know, that the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And in Galatians 2, 20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The moment I received Christ, the moment you received Christ, God puts you in his witness protection program. He gives you a new identity. You are a new person from the inside out. You look the same. Your voice resonates the same. You got the same resonance, got the same grades in school, same job, but you are different. Now, you can act like the old person, but you can never be them again. They are dead. Let me reiterate that. You can act like the old person, but you can't ever be them again. And so at that moment, I knew I was different. And people grabbed onto me, invited me to things, involved me in things, befriended me, uh, began to, I didn't know they were discipling me and investing in me. And uh, so, uh, you know, they said, you should do this. Well, I did that, you know, because things were different. They were all of a sudden, I had a sense of worth that wasn't there before. And for years, I've wondered about how did that happen? Nobody ever shared their testimony with me. Nobody ever shared the gospel with me. Nobody ever told me anything about faith. I never read anything in the Bible, okay? Nothing. Well, years later, my wife was talking with the woman, her and her husband, who I lived with, okay? And uh, she just kind of told her, she said, well, we were in a prayer group praying for John. 
Oh, there it is. I was an answer to prayer. Oh, my goodness. You know, it's hard to, you know, you pray for people and you pray for people and you see nothing happen, but don't give up. Man, you sent actually a text or something out that I was a part of that said the James verse in the, the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, yeah. like that made me think of that because they probably weren't trying to beat you up, weren't trying to really even Never get you there. They were just praying for you. Never said anything to me. Cared for me. Gave me presents on my birthday. Gave me a car to drive. Gave me food. They fed me. They, they gave me clothes. This was nuts. Unbelievable. So you finished out tech? Yeah, yeah. And by the way, um, <laughs> my old academic, uh, you know, my, I wasn't exactly the strongest guy in the whole world. Academic. <laughs> I had to, you know, it, it, you know I, I, I don't know how I got in. And, um, but they held on to me too. They, you know, they, I was ready to drop a course once and, she was only about five foot nothing. And she got up in my face and said, and she said, John, we don't quit. <laughs> and I was like, lady, you don't know who I am. I come from a long line of quitters. <laughs> We're professional quitters. She held on to me. I didn't drop the class. I hung in there. I kept going. And uh, I finished. And uh, many people, many people get credit for my finishing. But um, so, so I can't wait to get the part of the story when you're back at first and the college ministry. And I can't, I mean, I didn't know your story up to that point. That's just, yeah, that's the unbelievably amazing. A, that's the ministry I came a Christian in. That's the ministry who discipled me, who helped so, me begin to walk with God. So, did you, was that immediately kind of after you graduated tech? Did you get back into, did you get into the ministry after you graduated or did you go on? Or how, well, the dots for um, between my um, junior and senior year, I got an internship because I was in my degrees in advertising, marketing, uh, one of my claim to fames. Uh, I did an internship at a major Houston newspaper between my junior and senior years. They, they always came to tech. They picked three people. I was one of the three that they took. And one of the other three was a guy named Scott Pelly. Do you remember that name? He's the guy who's the head of 60 Minutes and He's one of CBS's main guys. Well, he was oh an intern with me. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that if you asked him about me, he would say who. So, uh, but, um, so I did this internship with them. And um, at the end of the internship, they offered us all a job. They said, you come work for us after you graduate. And I, just, I just didn't want to do it. I knew it, it just, there was something about it wasn't right. I went back to school, tried to figure some things out. Thought about changing my degree. Then I thought, no, that means I got to add more hours. I got to go to school longer. Um, even though I'd gone to college, I was not in love with school, going to school. And, um, you know, I didn't really enjoy school itself. Uh, but um, when I came close to my, my graduation, I had done summer missions the summer before I was an intern, did the internship. And I really enjoyed it. I was a youth, I was a sort of a youth minister under other youth ministers. I worked at a children's home and um really enjoyed it. So I thought, you know, maybe I ought to give this a shot. And so I went to work for a Baptist student union it, at the University of Houston, by the way. Uh, I'd grown up in a metropolitan area, so they thought I would fit there. So I went there and I worked at the University of Houston for two years. And um, since that God was doing something in my life to uh, 
call me, what they call called in the ministry, where you feel a sense that the ministry is what you should do. And, um, but uh, I told God I'd do that if he wanted me to, but let's not tell anybody. Uh, you know, let's not. <laughs> uh, and, a part of that, and a part of that was my insecurity that people would go, who, you, are you nuts? You know, who do you think you are? So I kind of kept it. I was going to be uh, kind of a secret agent. You know, a lot of people are secret agent Christians. Uh, God isn't. No, no, no. Does that work that way? Does it? No, I don't know. No, you know, and um, but anyway, I try. I I sense that's what I should do, and so I began pursuing uh, ministry and um, with uh, a foot outside the door. I kept the back door open and um, really tried to talk God into letting me be a regular guy. Because as far as I was concerned at that point, ministers were weird. Thought they were. I know now we deal with all kinds of genders. But back then, uh, there were only three genders. There were male and females and ministers. And uh, people couldn't quite figure out what we were. We were just weird. That's how I looked at it. And um, for, <laughs> that wasn't good, but that's how I saw it. So I thought, you know, God, I could be really great as just your guy in the regular world. And uh, I did go to seminary. Uh, first year I was there, I hated it, quit. Uh, I thought I'd been to Sunday school. How hard could seminary be? Uh, boys and girls, let me just tell you, that is tough. Oh, yeah. I mean, seminary makes college. I mean, I have a friend who was getting his doctorate in chemistry at USC, and he told me seminary was harder than that. Seminary is hard. And um, so, God, you can talk about writing. You're writing all the time. Anyway, let me get away from that just to say that I wanted not to be known as a minister. Yeah. My father-in-law owned a car business. I'd married my wife and, and I love, could you, you remember the part about drag racing and cars? Yeah. I'd love to have, I'd love to be Jay Leno and have all of his cars. Plastic cars. Yeah. Or, just, or maybe just a couple. I don't need to have a hangar full. I just like to have one in a garage. <laughs> Bart one. Yep. And um, went to work for my father-in-law and he sold cars. Uh, he been a car business for 40 years, had become a Christian when he was in his 40s. Godly, godly man. Uh, morals. I mean, he just trusted God with his life. And godly man. And one of the first things he told me, he said, John, we always tell the truth because whatever you tell people we're going to do, we're going to do. Now, I know used car dealers get a lot of uh, laughed at a lot, but he's an honest man. Uh, and uh, nobody I've ever been around is more honest than he was. And, um, and I love for, I told God that he got a, he had a year. I was going to quit seminary and God had a year as if I, God, I'm telling God. Gonna oh, don't you love putting time You got a year. God. You got a year. Yeah. You got me and for so, a year. That's it. And I went to work full time for my father-in-law for the first 11 months. Man, this is what I'm going to do. I'm locked in getting to drive all kinds of cars, having fun. And in the 12th month, it was like I was going to miss my life if I didn't go into ministry. And in that, in that year, um, there was a guy who was discipling me, was helping me in my life. I had a real anger issue. Um, there were some other things that, that God kind of worked on in my life over that year. And, and I went back to seminary. And when I went back, I went back with a totally different attitude. And, uh, 
um, I finished seminary and um, still work, worked full time for my father-in-law while I finished seminary. When I got out of seminary, I w- didn't know what I wanted to do. So I continued to work for him. And one day he says, look, John, I'm going to retire. Would you like to have my business? Not He wasn't going to give it to me. But he was going to make it to where I could buy it from him. And I thought, whoa, this sounds good. <laughs> and I put aside what God had, you know. Wow. I, I didn't, I mean, I didn't know much of that about your story, but I didn't know that was on the table either. So Strap, you were there for 11 months and then your father-in-law was ready to retire and he said, let's make no, a no. deal. It was 11 months. And then he not in the 12th month, I realized I needed to go back. So oh, okay. if and, I didn't then, go into the ministry, I was going to miss, there was a sense I was going to miss my life. Oh my goodness. And I, but I continued to work for him full time while I'm going to seminary. And after I graduated from seminary, I didn't know what I wanted to do in ministry. So I continued to work for him. I continued to go to church, continued to disciple guys. I invested in guys' lives. I continued to try to lead people to faith and try to work in people's lives while I was selling cars, working full time. And uh, I didn't want to just go somewhere and do something for Jesus. I, I was waiting for an opportunity. I didn't know what it was. And in the meantime, I worked with my father-in-law for seven years. And in the meantime, somewhere around the, the sixth year, he said, you know, listen, I'm going to retire. Would you like to take over the business? Oh, yeah, that's a hard decision. And uh, opportunity. So, so I messed around with that for several months. Oh, yeah. Looking into possible loans. And I wouldn't tell him yes. I wouldn't tell him no. I was sort of playing a game. I was playing a game with God and with myself. And um, one day he comes to me. He said, look, Johnny, said, I got to know today. So it's been long enough. My father was a nice guy. He said, I, I really got to make some decisions. So I need a decision today, what you're going to do. So I went out among the cars and I said, God, I need to know what to do. Clearly, God said, you know, you know what to do. You just know. I was getting this. I was going to mention that, too. I get the sense of that. Like you knew all along, didn't you? Oh, I did. I did. Oh, <laughs> just wrestling with it. I'm just telling God what a great layman I'd be. I'm trying to get God to get off of this other thing. <laughs> oh, that's great. So did you tell him that day? I'm out. Well, I went out to the cars and God said, yeah, I went, walked right in and said, look, I got to go into the ministry. He said, okay. So he, it wouldn't, didn't bother him. I mean, he didn't say it bothered him. I, I don't know. But, um, but I can tell you that the next day I'm sitting in the office and him, his best friend, who's a very wealthy salesman, very successful, very wealthy, sits down in front of my desk and he says, well, I heard you decided to be poor all your life. Oh, man. Gosh. So I was like, I didn't decide that, but the enemies uh, is relentless. What an attack. I know. The enemy is relatable. Anyway, um, so uh, it was a while. It might have been a year or so late, longer before I got a call from a guy named Max Barnett out of the blue asking me if I wanted to come and work with him in college ministry. And prior to that, I'd gotten a call from one of my former students at the University of Houston. In fact, I'm having lunch with tomorrow. Great guy. He called me one day and said, John, I, something like, John, I, I don't know what you're doing, but you know, you need to work with college students. And it really was, that, that was a significant moment in my life. And I went to work at University of Oklahoma in college ministry. And the rest is sort of history. That was the beginning. I'd been doing ministry before oh. that as what we call a lay person. But um, 
So, oh man, I have so many questions off all that. I was no longer a secret agent minister. You were in and then it opened. Okay. So you went to Oklahoma, but get us back to first Baptist and how, cause that was a big back then when you were doing that. I mean, that was a, I don't, you can explain it better, but that was a, there was something about that that created something big. And involved in that First Baptist, Lubbock, the 930, and what's, I mean, so get me, bring us to that point. I want to hear about that ministry and what it started and how I got there. Yeah. And how you got there. And I mean, because I know that was an impactful I'll try thing. To give you the, I'll try to give you the short version. No, we got time, John. <laughs> we have time. To I was, keep, keep going. I was, um, I'd worked at the University of Oklahoma for three and a half years and then an opportunity uh, sort of captain my own ship came available to become the uh, BSU director at the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque. And um, we sensed that that's where we needed to go. We moved out there, uh, a guy named W.A. Bradshaw. One of the, I've got four significant men in my life. Uh, and he's one of them. Great guy. I mean, trusted me. Turn it over to me. I remember him saying this to me, just don't embarrass me, which is a great line. I knew exactly what he meant, and he never watched over my shoulder. He just said, just don't embarrass me. And uh, we worked there for two and a half years, and um, the ministry went great. Uh, Sense that God had us doing something else, uh, and um, we... Uh, we um, took an interview at a job in San Antonio uh, to work on a church staff. I uh, thought that's actually what we would do. And, um, and when the pastor at First Baptist Lubbock said, hey, you're flying back to Albuquerque. Why don't you stop here and interview for a job we have here? And I thought, uh, and it was not, it was a singles minister, not college. It was a singles deal. So we did, and we thought, oh, that's not likely. But then it was the thing. And... Um, had to leave the people in Albuquerque, which was heartbreaking. We'd moved to Albuquerque with the idea that we'd live there the rest of our lives. And it was very heartbreaking. And, um, but this was the right thing to do. And um, I remember the day when I was, they had, uh, the church does this thing where they list, the, the committee decides who they want. They offer you the position. Then the church votes on accepting the committee's recommendation. And you stand before the whole church and accept or reject, okay? You get that far. Anyway, I'm standing in the pulpit, looking out over the congregation and remember thinking, oh God, is this what you want me to do? If it's not, tell me. And um, clearly I remember the Lord saying, um, you choose, I'll be pleased either way. Oh, wow, what the, fa- what the Father's heart. Uh. And that's what he said to me. And I was like, and I chose to, to go to Lubbock and um, I was a singles minister for about 10 or 11 months. Then the college ministry job opened up and they put me in there as the interim along with being the singles minister. And um, along the way, it became clearer that that's what I should do. And an interesting little side note is that the committee that were looking for a college minister had decided early on, one of their decisions was we will not consider any BSU directors for this job? Oh, well. <laughs> well, never say never. Well, and I wasn't a BSU director. 
<laughs> you just I was worked the with minister. Oh, oh my goodness! You see how God got it's unbelievable. And they wanted me to take it. That's a whole another story. The struggle and in leaving some people that you're right there with and taking that position, but all of a sudden I found myself in the position of the the guy who led the ministry that I became a Christian in. I absolutely love that. Which was what an incredible story. So how so what was the ministry like at that time? It was pretty thriving college ministry, wasn't it? Okay. So not yet. No, no, no. It had been. It no, it had been. It had been. For years it had been. I mean, I'm coming in at about the the twenty some year mark. Okay. And it had been tremendously successful in reaching students. For years so, and years and years and years. When I came yeah. to school, it was, I mean, 97, you know, I went out to tech. And I think at that point, and you, you were you there by then? I was there by then. So by then I knew it as a thriving ministry. So, Well, um, it was in the process of, it was slipping pretty badly. It had always been led by the college minister with the college worship service. And the college minister always preached the service. And a pastor came in, a young guy, who thought he should do that. So he basically pushed the college minister out, and he took over preaching that service. And it just didn't work, did it? Yeah. The nosedive. And in the process of him running that other college minister off, he offended a whole bunch of lay people who had given their lives for that ministry. And they got mad. And they went out and started a ministry at another church, just like it. Yeah. And, and then that's when you came in, came in the mix. And right they were pretty bent. They were pretty bent on not only building their ministry, but destroying the one at First Baptist because uh, of what uh, the pastor had done. And curiously enough, when that guy went to be the pastor there, I was at the University of New Mexico as BSU director, and I'd gotten wind that he was going to preach, he was going to move the college minister out, and he was going to take over that job. And pretty boldly, I'd met the guy because he was the pastor at First Baptist Albuquerque when I joined the, anyway, it said a lot of whole long story. Oh, wow. And I pulled him aside. I got with him and I said, don't do it. I said, don't take that away from the college minister. It's not going to work and they're going to hate you. Yeah. He but did he did listen. it anyway. Yeah. He later came back to me. He's the one who hired me for the position to become the college minister. And one day we were having lunch and I told him, I said, you need to give it to me. Give it back to me. And he said, you think so? And I said, yeah. And so in his humility, he gave it back to me. Oh, good. And uh, But when I took over, it only had about 150 kids coming. Oh, wow. Which... Most college ministries would they would give anything to have that many kids, but for First Baptist Lubbock, that was a disaster. Yeah, I mean, they'd had thousand, fifteen hundred, and it had been it had dwindled way down. And I remember saying to God, God, do I get to be the one who gets to watch this die? I mean, is that why I'm taking this? I mean. That was back when the Yankees weren't real good. I was like, am I going to get to coach the Yankees? Because, you know, the Yankees weren't good, but they were thought of as good. So somebody was going to pay for this. But I knew that's what happened, though, was it? 
so I, I took it over and God began to do some things and to bless and things began to grow. And uh, that's a whole another story. It took a long time, but uh, God was so faithful and uh, things began to grow in a new way. And uh, we were able to implement discipleship strongly into the program. Not that it wasn't happening before, but just strongly and more in a, in a different way. Because the guys who worked before did a great job. I mean, God bless them. They worked hard. And um, they're all great guys. They did a great job. Um, but uh, it took a long time uh, to revitalize it. Um, starting something new is different than trying to resurrect something that's dying. This takes mm. different. It's just different. So is that when through that process is when um, Paradigm Bible Study was started? Yeah. Paradigm was birthed um, probably about eight years in. Okay. Paradigm was birthed seven or eight years in. And uh, and for those who don't know, tell us a little bit what Paradigm is. Paradigm was a worship uh, event, Bible study worship event that happened on Thursday nights at eight o'clock and went away at 10 o'clock on Thursday nights. It and was for, those, for those who don't know, I mean, John, we're still doing that in my hometown. I know. Isn't that when, when was that? When was that? I mean, year wise, do you remember kind of approximately? I think 97 is when we started. Isn't that awesome? I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it was a, it was a miraculous thing. Um, and it was, um, you know, the right people, you know, you've got to have the right people. You have to have the right plan, but you got to have the right people. It requires two things, the right plan and the right people. Yeah. I mean, a plan doesn't work without the right people. That's why you've got to ask the Lord to give you, the laborers, you got to have the, see, I don't see that verse as just generic people. I yeah. see that verse, a laborer, I see as someone who knows how to do something. Yeah. And um, I can tell you, when I started praying that, 930, which is the name of the college ministry, what in total, it was called 930 because it was on 930 on Sunday mornings is when the worship service was. Yeah. And um, I can tell you, when I began to pray that verse, um we had great kids up to that time, great kids. What we didn't have was a lot of different kind of kids, of students, with a lot of different personalities and gifts. And you need a, you need a wide range of people with gifts and abilities and connections and, and opportunities and doors that they can open. You need a wide range of people. And as it went, God, God stopped me on that verse one day and said, ask me for them. It wasn't that oh, I was yeah. praying before. But now it was specifically, ask me for the people you need. And I began to ask God. I didn't know who, I had some ideas about people I needed. And um, some of the people, kind of people I thought I needed, I'd meet with them and they would go to another church. It was really, but when I began to pray, we had great students up to that time. Just a wider range yeah. of students began to come with different gifts. Gift sets and everything. You know, some people just bring people. You don't have to teach some people how to bring people. They just do it. Some people have opportunities in work or areas. They just have them. They can't be developed. They're just sort of there. And so we pray and God brings the right kind of, he brings all the different kinds of people. And you also have to have people who will care for people. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the people who bring people aren't the best people at caring for people. 
But a lot of times yeah. the people who are really good at caring for people aren't the best people at bringing a lot of people because they focus on a few people. Yeah, we need us all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and by the it, way, then you have to be willing to disciple all kinds of different people, and people are different. And, and that's what I want to get into as well, because I don't want to run out of time without us talking about that. So what? And by the way, without John Randall's paradigm doesn't become what it was. Yeah. John, 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 we, John and I did this together, but John, John worked for me. Yeah. But John, he's a unique person. I mean, kids just wanted to come and hear him speak. Yeah. I mean, he had attracted people. He just had that ability. And he was really, really, really good at that. Great speaker. Interesting. Phenomenal personality. He, John's a personality. He's not yep. just a speaker. He's a personality. When he enters the room, you know he came in. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and without him, it didn't happen. And he, 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 he brought his gift. He, yeah. he was the guy who led it. I mean, he was the guy. I was in the back. Yeah. But together, we did that together. And um, amazing. And so you, you, there are a lot of factors to go into things. Well, and you were talking about discipleship, and I, I want you to speak to that. And I love John. Oh. John was one of my best friends. Unbelievable man of God. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And his son is doing a phenomenal job in Washington, D.C. Oh, good. Zach. Planted a church there. He and his wife, Autumn. He plucked one of the plums off of the 930 tree. Yeah. Oh. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So what does that mean? Like in your experience in all these years with with college students and, and men, it's not just college students. When I was men. just with Autumn and Zach and they're doing yeah. a phenomenal job. And yeah. Zach is a great speaker like his dad. Oh, my gosh. Oh, well, what does it mean to disciple somebody? I mean, help break it down for people who may want to do that and know it's a, you know, it's a Bible, it's a biblical command of Jesus. But what does it mean? What does it look like? Like, how does it work? What's the process? Because I know just kind of being on the outside circle and, and being involved in paradigm, just kind of um, past the age group, but just being you know, mutual connections that. Um, whatever y'all have done in the college has really multiplied and worked really well. It's blessed hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people, but there's a model there that y'all have set up that works. What is it? Well, um, that's a really good question. There are a lot of angles I could take, but, the, the, a, uh, a metaphor that I've come to right now is called, and that I've called, uh, what's going on and what's going in. Um, discipling is investing. It, this is the way I see it. Now, some people are going to pick at me about this, okay? so, But this is how I see it. Um, discipling is investing in others what's been invested in me. And, and that means uh, what God has invested in me the bib and, and the biblical concepts the biblical teachings on what god has has said we uh ought to who we ought to be like what we ought to do um the kind of people we ought to be and so uh the idea of what's going on and what's going in i think a, a great discipler works from two angles 
And again, I think it begins with investing in others, what's been invested in me by God and then by God through other people, okay? What's been invested in me through scriptures and what's been invested in me through the lives of others as they've helped me to uh, put into practice what the scriptures say. Um, so you, you can't disciple yourself. Somebody else has to disciple you. Um, and you can't be discipled by somebody you can't know. Yeah, it's kind of like you can't you can't give away what you don't have. Yeah. Well, also. yeah, you can't. You only have to be a little bit ahead, though. Now yeah. you don't have to be way ahead. You just got to be a little ahead. Mm, that's good. And, Thank uh, you for saying that. Yeah. But also, um, you know, I love uh, Tim Keller's writing. I love his writing. Uh, John Maxwell, I've learned a lot from him. Uh, Cloud, I've learned a lot from him and other people. But the, I can't be discipled by them because I can't know them and they can't know me. I can learn from them. They can help me. But I, I can only be discipled by somebody I can know and can know me. See, they got to know what's going on with me because you got to know what's going on. You got to have a plan for what you're going to be putting in, what's going in. But you got to also know what's going on in order to help this person know how what's going in is applied. And you just do that with a lot of time together? Yeah, you just do it in the time that you're, I'm about to meet with a guy here right after I get done with you, a guy I've been meeting with for quite a while. And and there's some things that are going on in his life right now. He's facing a medical issue that they don't know what it is. Well, I got to know what's going on there. You know, there's some things he needs to know, some basic kind of things that he needs to know in order to walk with God. But then there's some things I need to know to see how some of these things apply and when I should talk about them and to be able to help him with his life so that he doesn't see these as a dichotomy, the truth of God in my life, that they don't really go together. Mm, But how does this apply into the guy's life while he's learning it and he's learning stuff that maybe doesn't apply? Doesn't know how it applies right now, but we're also helping him see things that really do fit right now to where the, the, the activity of God that he sees it happening in his life, he's able to run the experiences of his life through scripture to understand what's going on, how this applies to what God is up to in his life. So discipling is taking both what's going on and what's going in and merging these things. Mm. Now, it doesn't just mean I'm just talking about the things the guy's facing because I need to be bringing things to him that he doesn't know that he needs. But I don't need to be ignoring the things that are going on in his life right now, or he'll live a dichotomy. Mm. And then you're just spending time with these people. Yeah. And you're getting in the word of God with them. Yeah. And you're helping merge those two. Yeah. And sometimes I'm just talking to them too. Yeah. And there's no, and I'm not asking for a formula because I know people want that. I'm bringing my experience to his life. And maybe I bring other people in. Hey, I know a guy who's dealt with this. Let's see if we can't get some time with him and just talk to him about how God dealt with him in this area of his life. What happened here? So how long will you meet with somebody, though? So whenever the Lord says stop, like, is it you just know, you know, like one of those? Yeah, I don't think, I mean, discipling relationships kind of change as time goes on. I think early on, it can be more of a, I'm going to impart to you. And then it kind of begins to flow into we're going to impart to each other's lives. Yeah. And um, could be a weekly. Some people I think you meet with weekly. Some people I think you meet with once in a while. Yeah. Uh, 
There's no set rules. I mean, ground rules. No, on and it. Let me back up on this. I think a lot of major discipling happens in small group situations. Mm. And this is what Jesus did. Now, Jesus spent individual time mm. with his disciples, but he spent a whole lot of time in a group with them. Because the group will teach each other things that the leader didn't even think about. And the group will hold each other accountable. You can kind of you can kind of snow me if you and I are meeting together one on one, but it's really hard to snow another seven or eight guys. What's a good group size? Because there's some there's some levels there that yeah. it's where us men we just kind of shut down. We won't talk. Yeah, I think, and I'm just I'm I'm not ignorant on this. If you've got two, that's not enough. And by the way, most guys are not really ready for one on one. That freaks them out. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I think often, often the discipling relationship begins with a one-time shot where somebody wants to get together, kind of get to know each other, and um, kind of go around the ring a few times with each other and see if you're connecting. Now, what I told my leaders was this. You get, you've got a group of people. There are some people in there you're going to have affinity with. Start meeting with them one-on-one or people who really want it. Not everybody wants it. Not everybody's ready for it. Yeah. I mean. That's a big deal because, I mean, no sense trying to force them. Well, I think it's both and. Mm-hmm. I think it's a both and situation. And um, some guy, you know, some people, some guys, you put them in a one-on-one deal, they're going to clam up. And some other guys, you get, they're going to clam up in a group situation. So I would say a good small group is about six. Yeah. Um, and if you get more than about 10 guys start floating away, mm. now Jesus had 12, anybody who thinks they can have more than 12 are out of their mind. Yeah. <laughs> He's a good model. Yeah. You're, I'm going to go lock down on the, uh, 12 or 13 people. I mean, now I've had guys yeah. who are, I'm just like when 15 people, I'm like, Jesus had 12. Yeah. <laughs> he overachiever. He was, by, the way, not work. He was, by the way, he was God. So you need to. <laughs> I mean, and you know, they're kind of proud of that. I got 15 guys. On. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can't keep up with that. I mean, I can't keep up with that many people and what's really happening in their life. Now, this is why groups are absolutely necessary because we can't get to everybody one-on-one. And some people just don't flat need it right now. They might need one-on-one once in a while. So really to be available encouraging people to, you know, meet in a small group and start there and do some one-on-ones every once in a while if, if they need it and just be intentional with it and do it. Well, let's say you got a group of six guys. You ought to try to have lunch with one of them once a week and see what's going on and see who needs, would like some more. You know, because, you know, you, you don't want to be answering questions people aren't asking for one thing. And you don't want to be giving people stuff they don't want. Well, they should want to meet one-on-one. Well, they should, but maybe they're not really ready for that yet. And, of course, look, I've got lots of friends who, if they heard what I was saying, they might have a real hard time with me. Yeah. Yeah, because there's no right or wrong. I mean. I think it's a both and. Yeah. And a lot of the significant, significant things happened in my life in a small group situation yeah and then where maybe i could meet with the leader and sort through some things yeah on an individual basis but and 
and these college these college students i mean i know around our area they're they're really doing that and they're they're seeing the lord move and it's just helping change lives and they're multiplying and it's just really cool to see well there are some guys that i meet with pretty consistently for lunch and things like that and and a lot of times we'll talk about biblical things but sometimes we'll just talk about life and how walking with god relates to life that they're facing right now um does the bible have anything to say about this how do i trust god in this situation how do i trust god with my health how do i trust god with my finances how do i trust god with the relationships i'm involved in um and helping us take the situation that they're they're facing and running that through the grid of scripture and experience of uh older christians to understand what's going on um it's hard to figure out what's going on in our lives it's hard to trust god it's hard to do the right thing all the time and i i'm convinced god knows this that's why we want to make progress we're not shooting for perfection we're shooting for progress and this is why what's going on and what's going in they you, you merge those together by helping people run the real experience that they're facing in their life through what scripture would say about this and in the meantime, you're, you're merging what scripture says about life and, and that affecting what's how they're living their life. And these dovetail together. Oh, that's so good. Man, I, I, we need, we're going to have to do a teaching series round two, I think, j just on this. Well, I hate to land the plane, John, but let me ask you first a um, couple final things. If you if you had to say uh, what's your life message, and I know that's a super hard question to surprise on you, but just some things that come to mind immediately. How would you encourage people? Well, next twenty twenty four, Paul says. Um, sometimes I go blank when I start to give a scripture. That's ridiculous. But um, uh, Acts twenty twenty four, because I'm kind of on the spot here, I'm going to need to look it up. Yeah, for sure. This is. Um, this is what I would consider to be, you know, for a long time, she said, what's your life first? I didn't have one. I'm like, uh, I'm kind of a second class citizen. You know, second yeah, class I'm sure I don't have a, well, this is my life first. What's yours? Well, uh, the Bible. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, <all> of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but <laughs> a few years back, <clears throat> this is what's really popped up now. Paul says, this is in the context of him, the Holy Spirit warning him of what's coming. Okay. And he says, however, um, even though all this is going to happen, and this is kind of the way I look at things, Josh, is however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. I just want my life to reflect the gospel of God's grace that yeah. that God cares about people and that um, I want to, when I, when I come into a situation, I want to leave it better than I left it. Yeah. And number one, and number two is I want people to wonder about what I'm about and that I'm about Jesus. Yeah. And I'm about people and I care about people. I want to be a uh, thermostat, not a thermometer. I want to change the temperature in the room if I yeah. can. Well, you and, do that. I mean, just so you know, to encourage you. So thank you. Well, that's what I want to do. I mean, I am a, you know, if God can do this with my life, he can do this with anybody. Because I'm a nobody from nowhere. 
unbelievable story and and i'm i'm just amazed by that just i i didn't know that background about you which i just i love it's true it's yours that what he did it and it's just him and you're giving him the credit and glory and it's a, it's amazing you know, to see one of the things that i tell ministers and by the way even though i've worked with college ministers i think this i think this stuff cuts this thing is for every minister this is for college ministers this is for every minister and this is for every person um People need to know your story. And that's why what you're doing is so great. People need to know people's stories. And uh, I realized one day that one of my, uh, one of, well, I was, I, was, I was actually meeting with a guy. I was discipling a guy, a uh, law student at Tech. One day he comes to our meeting and he's acting all bummed out. And I said, hey, what's going on? And he said, well, you really wouldn't understand. I said, what do you mean I wouldn't understand? He said, you, you know, you grew up in a Christian home. You went to camp. You went to Sunday school. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you've offended me quite a bit. But yeah. I said, um, wait a minute. And I realized he didn't know anything about me. And so about every 18 months, I would take a Sunday morning worship service and I would give my story. Because people assume. And I've had uh, relatives who assume. And so I tell guys, you know, about every 18 months, you need to be giving your testimony. You need to show up some Sunday and just give your testimony. Mm-hmm. And I tell fathers, and you need, to, you need to have a dinner where you pull your family around and you pay for the dinner and you say, tonight I'm going to tell you about me and where I've come from and why I do what I do. Oh, that's assume, really good. We assume they think it. Our kids don't know it. Have you ever heard the, the the idea that the first generation fights for it, the second generation assumes it, and the third generation loses it? Mm-hmm. Well, yep. there it is. Tell the your second stories. generation assumes it. They don't know that their parents had to fight to walk with God, and they're living in the land they did not fight for. Mm-hmm. And that's why when the Lord told the Israelites, you need to tell them, what I've done is because he knew they were going to be in the land of milk and honey, and they would assume that that's the way things are, and they would never really come to know God. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Well, you do some uh, speaking and teaching. So how can somebody connect with you the best way if they want to you know, re- reach out to you, connect with you, even about teaching and speaking or coming down to you know, a group, the church? wherever and then also to get a copy of the book we, we can get a thousand amazon you can get the book on amazon um if you want it autographed i mean i'm not a big deal <laughs> but some people think having an autographed book is cool and i want and i want to do that okay it's hard for me to think of myself as somebody somebody would want an autograph of because i'm just johnny strap is on from the east side of joliet it's cool though yeah that's not who i am anymore but i don't want you to think it's an arrogant thing but if you want that done i would love to do that for you um i'd love to uh you know if you've got a group of men or a group of women or whoever i'm happy to do that i I want to come and speak to your group um if it's not a christian group i want to come and speak to them i will be sensitive to that uh and then can they reach you what's a good way to on strapazon at gmail.com. Okay, perfect. My website is kind of under construction, so it's really hard to, I don't know exactly if you can get through on that, which is, I need to get that together. But, but you send you an email. At, you can contact me at johnstrapazon at gmail.com. Okay. Uh, Spell your last name, Strap. S-T-R-A-P-P, as in Peter and Paul, A-Z-O-N. Okay. At gmail.com. As far as I know, I'm the only John Strapazon in the on the planet 
Well, you don't have to have like a one, two, three, John, whatever. Gmail. So, okay. John, thank you. Strap, thank you. Man, that was so rich. And I'm so grateful you're being honest and authentic and vulnerable and telling your story. Um, I know some people are going to be encouraged and I, I absolutely love it. So just thank you for making time. And I think we may have to do a part two. And then, well, let me say this. Can I am about to speak to the Optimist Club? I would love to speak to the Lions Club, the Optimist okay, Club. Okay, great. Whatever club, I'll be sensitive to the situation. Um, I'd love to speak to Sunday school classes. I'd love to preach at churches. I'd love to teach. I'd love to do whatever you want. That's what I do now. I am available and want to do that. Oh, great. I mean, in 40 plus years, you're bringing to the table. So, um, And God has given me a passion to make things understandable. Yep. I'm just a yep. guy, too. I'm just a guy, guy. Well, that's good, Strap. Thank you. Bless you. Hey, this is Micah. Me and Josh would like to thank you for joining us in the story field today. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion, and to learn more about us and the story field, visit thestoryfield.com. This podcast is sponsored by The Allen Firm, legal guides for many of life's situations. To learn more about The Allen Firm, visit allenlawfirm.com. Have a blessed day, week, and year, and we will see you next time on The Story Field. This is Josh again. I just wanted to thank you for listening and let you know that this podcast is really about hope and about giving you hope for your life. So if you're listening and you're in a place where you're really feeling hopeless right now, or if you do not know Jesus, we have some great news to share with you and would love a chance to pray for you. Email us at hope at allenlawfirm.com. That's hope at allenlawfirm.com. And we'll reach out to you soon. Thank you for listening. God bless you.